Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. for Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller, and you are watching The Aftershock, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest in the world of Web3 every single Wednesday here on Cryptocurrent's YouTube and podcast platforms everywhere. I, of course, am always joined by my co-host, Richard Carthon. Richard, how we doing? What's up, everybody? Doing, um, you know, hanging in there. Uh, it's days like this where wag me, uh, we're all going to make it is uh, really important as a rallying cry. Uh, today's not all about doom and gloom, uh, but there's a whole lot of uh, not great news out there in the market, especially as it relates to prices and some of the headlines that we have to share today. So uh, a tough Monday, uh, well, uh, a tough week so far. Uh, and I think we're probably going to see a little bit more pain, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Steve and I just came back from consensus talked to a lot of different people and gave their hot take on what's going on. And we'll dive into that a little bit later. But um, I mean, consensus was fun, at least. I'll, I'll, I'll end on that high note. How are you doing, Steve? I gotta tell you, man, I think that event season is here and it doesn't really matter how bearish or bullish you are. Um, there's still a lot of reason to be excited about what's going on in crypto. Um, at least that's my personal take. I think that there's a lot of reason to still have hope. And um, on today's episode, hopefully we'll be able to give you a little bit of that. Um, we want to, at the very least, keep you educated whether things get bearish or they stay bullish. Um, that's the very big truth behind the scenes here at Cryptocurrent. We are here whether you know it's looking like doom and gloom or if it's up only. Um, but we hope that you'll stay with us and stay informed throughout the years um, as we keep you informed on what's going on in crypto and Web3 at large. Um, today on the show... We're going to hopefully give you, again, a little bit more reason to stay in crypto. Um, we're going to talk about that closer to the end of the show. But as we do on these Aftershock episodes, we jump into everything um, Web3 related to start. And then we'll drop into uh, last week in the metaverse as it relates to news. So let's do just that. This is the Aftershock. The Aftershock. So in this week's Aftershock, we have... At the top of our Web3 lightning round, some really staggering news that I believe actually started the downward spiral in the market. And that was Celsius going from nearly insolvent to completely freezing all asset withdrawals. This is a huge story because again, Celsius was one of the premier staking platforms throughout the last bull cycle. And of course, they also ran um, a fantastic wallet for the, you know, I guess, greater period of time of the last two or three years. So. Yeah. With that, there's a lot that we can unpack here with this news, but 
What I find really interesting is right on the heels of it, apparently Nexo is still performing well enough that they've actually now proposed a formal buyout of Celsius. Um, I think the news itself is very encouraging for the fact that like not all Celsius users may be up a creek without a paddle. But talk to me about your take on it. I'm curious. So the reason why this could be some of the biggest news is that it's it truly has caused the latest downward spiral. So what Celsius is, is a DeFi lending staking protocol, or not even protocol, a platform that allows you to put on your crypto into a, a native wallet into their platform. And then you stake it and they pay you out weekly. And not only do they pay you out weekly for staking, just for holding your crypto into their wallet, you also could get loans against your crypto. Um, and usually some of your biggest loans would come out of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, a challenge that happened, and we actually got some insights on this uh, right before we started seeing the market start crashing on Sunday. We met someone at uh, Consensus who flat out said we were looking at uh, basically uh, their chains and, and realized that um, with this, ETH 2.0 merger that's going on and, and how they're doing everything's with their staking. Uh, I think they had you know a significant amount of ETH and basically once that um, the newest thing took into effect, instead of having all of it because they were staking, um, they were staking a lot of their Ethereum. Once uh, this new merger happened, instead of getting all of it, it was they got two thirds of it. So immediately they were on the verge of insolvency. So to try to help edge that, they took a lot of the Bitcoin that they then had to try to offset it. But as y'all now know, uh, Bitcoin prices started going down. So it became a fire sale. They're like, we have to be able to cover all of these uh, costs. And it kind of just started spiraling out of control so much that they froze withdrawals. Now, again, Celsius is centralized. And not just that, they're... Not your keys, not your crypto. In this particular example, if Celsius were to just fall off the face of the earth and you have crypto that's on there and they froze you out like they just did and they go under, you just lost your crypto. Just like that. So another good reminder of when you're doing these DeFi lending systems, you have to be careful when things aren't the when the markets aren't as stable, because unfortunately when stuff like this happens, you could lose your money just like that. No question. And look, it's really important that people understand that playing in this game of DeFi and you know, investing in the future of Web3, it always comes at a risk. But the truth is, is that none of us really know the full range of that risk. And that's why you have to be very willing before you enter to not only do your research, but enter things where you believe that you're mitigating that risk. This is one of those things that like in a very dramatic situation is a possibility, especially if you're working with a centralized entity. So it's worth keeping that in mind of Celsius, but it's also actually worth keeping in mind of Binance. So Binance is one of the world's largest exchange platforms, and they too paused Bitcoin withdrawals temporarily this week due to transaction backlog issues. Um, again, throughput is always an issue here in Web3. And we need to continue to monitor centralized entities like Binance and like Celsius so that we're not getting our money you know, locked up on us. We, there's a very good chance that, especially in the case of Celsius here, some of those users may never actually get those assets back. So you have to be aware of it. You have to be ready. 
Um, but in the case of Binance, it does certainly seem like it is a temporary lockup. So hopefully we'll see a reversal here shortly. In our next piece of news, this is an interesting one to me, especially because he is notably a Bitcoin maxi. Um, Jack Dorsey, formerly of Twitter, now of Block, is building a Web3 competitor built on Bitcoin that he's calling Web5 in the interest of skipping all of three and four together. Um, I think that honestly, this is Jack Dorsey's marketing brain taking over for a second and trying to basically say that if you build it on Bitcoin, it'll be light, light years ahead of everything else. But the truth is, is if, if you really break it down, Bitcoin is the clunkiest network out there. And to build a Web3 interface on top of Bitcoin, without a doubt, will actually be much more harmful to the environment from every single metric that we have. Would you agree or disagree with that? I don't know if I directly agree. There will be some short-term pain. But the big issue with mining and, and, and developing all this stuff is the, the idea is if this Web5 is created, it eliminates those challenges. So like we need to get lightning network and all the advances that are starting to happen with that. They're basically trying to say like, yeah, we're going to skip all of that and we're going to make it even better. And I imagine it's going to be better for the environment, faster and affordable. And and quicker, but to get there, yes, it will. It, it's it's gonna definitely not be great for the environment. And look, the way that I read this story is, I'm looking at like the very future of the market. I actually kind of communicate this as, at least from the down low, like you have to read this the way it's actually written. It took us 20 years once we got onto Web two to get onto the the very beginnings of Web three. Okay, that's part one. So if that's the case, it's going to take 20 more years for us to get to Web 4's beginnings, and then 20 years after that to get to Web 5's 5's beginnings. So Jack Dorsey can work all he wants, but we're looking at 2064 before we ever see Web 5, in my opinion. But hey, I'm ambitious. Hey, we'll see. Wouldn't be mad. Feels sooner than that. Well, I think this is actually really, really encouraging news for the market because... Right now, we also have Near Protocol coming out with some significant news. As you know, MetaMask is one of the most uh, foremost used Web3 wallets out there on the market, specifically for browser-based wallets. And Near Protocol has officially become the first non-EVM chain with MetaMask compatibility. Now, the reason this is a big deal is because MetaMask traditionally interfaces with these individual blockchains because they are Ethereum virtual machine compatible. To go outside of that framework would require them to do so much internal um, reprogramming for a wallet to still be able to work with all the EVM chains as well as other um, machine-based chains. So it's a really big feat that they've actually done this. Now, there are going to become other protocols in the future that want to do this as well. Algorand is one of them. They're the Algorand virtual machine compatible chain at this point. I don't believe they have others outside of that. But these, this is the first step towards making a unified wallet for all of Web3. Um, I'm certainly very encouraged by this. And I also think that as we look towards the future, um, this is super encouraging, especially because we could very easily be seeing a MetaMask token coming soon. What? Man, I've been waiting for this uh, MetaMask airdrop for a minute. So I hope you're right. I think it's, it's it, I, I believe it's like Thanos. It is inevitable. But uh, I think 
we, we, we don't have a minute before it happens, but when it happens, I will go back and give you full, full clarity for calling it out. Well, look, man, I, I always appreciate the credit. Um, the clarity, I'm not so sure about, but hey, what are we going to do? The next story on our docket today within Web3 to uh, round out the lightning round is Helium. Um, so we've spoken about Helium a lot on this show. It is a protocol that is trying to build out IoT infrastructure using Web3, um, specifically over um, low energy, essentially Wi-Fi networks, looking at you know, using route, existing router tech um, to create larger infrastructure. So Helium, as you know it, um, has decided to launch new, two new tokens amid a larger expansion. Now, Richard, you know Helium very well, and there have been a lot of issues as of late with the Helium network. Do you think this is actually going to solve Helium's larger issues? Does it solve Helium's larger issue? No, but they're trying to basically expand and keep helping different networks. So Helium is low ran. Um, they're trying to start doing IoT and they're starting to do 5G. So with having now IoT, uh, which is a different uh, frequency, same thing with 5G, different frequency, they decided to try to make dedicated tokens for each of these. Now, Helium was a, is still, I think, a really cool infrastructure play. The challenge is, is that it grew a lot faster than what they were ready for. And their system kind of keeps breaking. It kind of keeps the, the machines and, and what they built is not being able to keep up with the network and, and what they're trying to accomplish. So the goal is with these new IoT and 5G that they can help fix it and creating these new tokens, tokens to hopefully keep the momentum going with what Helium built. Um, I think that hopefully these tokens kind of tie back to H&T in some form or fashion, um, as I do think H&T potentially could be in trouble if they don't get a lot of the current issues they're dealing with resolved by the end of the year. So um, looking at this one closely, but uh, they really need to get their H&T platform figured out. Yeah, I think honestly, they need to get their SHI together. Or it doesn't go well in transition. I've seen tokens break off, you know, like their governance side in the past into a separate token from their actual like utility token. And it always devalues the initial, the original token. So they have to have a very, very clear um, strategy going forward, or they're going to be in very, very deep trouble. Um, so we're going to have to take, keep an eye on that one as we go forward. But let's jump into last week in the metaverse and talk about the news going on in the world of NFTs and um, the rest of the blockchain. So Salesforce has announced they're planning the launch of a platform for NFT creators. Now, this is going to be Salesforce's official NFT cloud platform. Um, I think it could be a really interesting deployment. It's something that honestly, there's very few details out there um, right now about. But Salesforce is one of the largest B2B software providers. And they could very easily corner a lot of the market as it, rel as it relates to brands that enter the NFT space. So we're going to have to see how this one plays out. Do you have any uh, sort of take for our um, audience on this one? Why are all these big corporations making a play on NFTs? Because they see it as a means to market adoption and as a quick path to new users who are going to leave from Web 2 to come to Web 3. Salesforce is one of the largest corporations that a lot of other corporations use in their day-to-day -day operations in business. So if you all of a sudden 
go to all these B2B businesses and say, hey, we now have this NFT uh, platform that you can launch and do strategic things for all of your clients and businesses. Man, it's almost like they have an entire direct market to go after that could immediately use their NFT platform and create a ton of value. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, could be very beneficial for them if, if, and this is a big if, this platform is user-friendly and is able to attract creatives and create uh, creators and creatives and not just, unfortunately, your business-to-business type of you know, creative team. I mean, look, there is still a big value to it. I mean, we heard from Avery Akinani a couple of weeks back and she's in charge of all of brand integration with Vayner NFT and, and Vayner, um, Vayner Media's NFT arm. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to show brands that they should be giving a shit about the NFT space. And frankly, if this is not an easier road for brands to jump into NFT deployment, I'm not sure what else it could be. Because a lot of the time we are using solutions right now like Arweave to store creative assets over time that are linked to NFTs, right? It needs a storage solution. So if Salesforce is saying, okay, I want to start to provide that storage solution as opposed to having them go on to... Um, sorry, Arweave and the other one starts with an I and I have no idea why I'm blanking on it right now. But do you... Oh, it's IPFS. That's what it is. So IPFS and Arweave are the two places where where creators are storing their digital um, artifacts and graphics as they relate to specific NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain and Solana blockchains. But all these brands don't necessarily want to trust an entity that is totally decentralized. They'd rather trust another large corporate. That's the way this plays to me. But honestly, I could see this as a massively bullish move for NFTs going forward, especially independent projects, because you're going to start to see more and more corporates flood into the space and large brands. And that's going to inevitably value creator projects at a higher level than these big brand-based projects. So it'll be interesting to me going forward, but that's the way that I read that one. Our next story comes from MasterCard. Now, you know MasterCard as one of the preferred credit card platforms out there in the world, next to Visa and Discover. Well, they've officially enabled NFT purchasing directly in several marketplaces now, including the likes of Nifty Gateway and um, Immutable X. So this is significant because you're now not just going to be able to buy NFTs directly from your Ethereum wallet or your Solana wallet. You can now just buy it using your credit card and redeem it to your wallet later. Do you think this is a convenience move? Because I think this is probably the biggest individual move forward for potentially cash injection to the NFT market. Oh, it's massive. And now you don't have to move crypto and and you don't have to go on all these exchanges immediately. Like do all these conversions, lose money on your money and like move stuff around or take money out of your ledger. Um, I think it's both a great thing and a terrible thing because the great part about it is providing convenience and uh, quickness. So I recently got into an NFT project um, at their Mint and they actually had a way for me to pay with a credit card. And I thought that was amazing because I didn't have to make a ton of different decisions on where to move money. I was just able to pay for it and great, uh, immediate access. Now, the downside is, is people aren't necessarily the most responsible with credit cards as it relates to straight being a degen 
uh, which stands for being a degenerate. And just you hear about a project and immediately go buy it with your credit card and think it's going to be great. I, I think it's a really quick way for DGENs out there to max out their credit cards, trying to get all, scope out all of the, the different, uh, different NFTs that are available. So again, I think it's good and bad. Look, man, you got to do what you got to do to get JPEGs. <laughs> That's the way I... What do you mean? Well, look, Budweiser has also announced just the other day that they've officially become the official beer of Zed Run. So Zed Run is a horse racing platform that is entirely digital and randomized on the Polygon blockchain. I love this news just because it continues to validate the fact that Zed Run is legit. Um, but otherwise, I don't really know how it matters to become the official beer of an NFT gaming platform. Gaming platform. Advertisers, man. You know, you're playing a game, you get thirsty. Budweiser. <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe you can drink virtual beer in like the metaverse. Like I've always thought about that, right? Like you have these major brands like drinking brands and other stuff and they're uh, getting all their trademarks so they could be used in the metaverse. And like, literally it's just got to be out there to remind you to like, hey, once you step out into the real world again, please buy my product, right? Like, I mean, look, Metaverse beer seems to be the most locale option in beer. So to me, I think that it's great. And I could drink a ton of it without getting even the slightest buzz on. But if you're using a VR headset, wouldn't it be funny as hell if you're drinking Metaverse beer and all of a sudden it just starts acting like beer goggles? I mean, as much as that sounds great, I think it's a great way to get motion sickness. So, you know, help you get the real thing. For well, sure. hey, that's actually the current way that um, VR works. So maybe they don't even need to get the beer into there. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, let's move into this next piece. Now, this is actually one of the dopest stories out there this week because we got the chance to chat with a member of this project's team at Consensus. I'm super bullish on this news. So the author of Snow Crash, Neil Stevenson, is officially building a free-to-use metaverse called Lumina One, or Lamina One, excuse me. Now, this is the guy who originally coined the term metaverse, okay? The guy who wrote the entire basis and call it like the white paper on what a metaverse is or should be. And it's been adapted by players like Xbox Live and all sorts of other creators out there. This could be what we need in a time when we really need it most. Because every single freaking YouTube creator out there in the crypto space right now has consistently been doing these BS click bait titles about the metaverse is dead. Is it all dead? Is it like, it's not all dead. You're overreacting. You've been here for five minutes. That's the answer to the question. Greater point about this story. You have an absolute um, household name when it comes to metaverse related topics and virtual worlds coming into the space with their own platform. And I'm so stoked about it. And it's going to be an entire chain, layer one, all of its own. that is created foremost or metaverse activities. What did you get out of, out of our conversation with the gentleman that we spoke to from Lamina One earlier this weekend at Consensus? That the metaverse clearly, uh, again, Facebook changed their name to Meta. This is the biggest bet on Web3. This is where the world is headed. Virtual headsets, beginning virtual worlds, AR, etc. But what I like about the, the challenges in it right now is that a lot of the graphics are kind of lo-fi. It's not super high definition. And like, it, it's like the very beginning of like creating very high definition type of experiences. And by 
going in the direction where you can bring the aesthetic of the high definitions we're seeing right now, but into the metaverse is a pretty big leap. And the companies that are taking that direction and building that are going to be the big winners. And I think that with uh, they're trying to do over at Lamunia, aka Laminia, as uh, Steve just said, because I got to give him a little crap for mispronouncing a word because uh, I do it all the time. I said, um, I said Lamina One at, after saying <laughs> Lumina One, not Luminia. So technically, we're both totally in the wrong. And I, it's just going to be oh, all over the place in this episode. Oh, man. It's just all over the place, just droppings. But point being that. What Snow Crash, uh, I mean, what Neil Stevenson is trying to like help paint with with all of this creation is the evolution of how the metaverse is going to continue to expand the experience piece of it. And the experience piece of it is as it becomes more real, the better and more time you want to spend. All right. Well, it looks like I'm going to be closing out this episode on my own this week because Richard's audio completely went out. Um, Richard, while you play around in settings and I make note of the time, I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about another exciting piece of news on the last week, which was um, a story, of course, in celebration of CryptoPunks. So CryptoPunks have just celebrated their five-year mint anniversary. um, And it is clearly an exciting time to be still in NFTs, especially as it relates to the ones that are most um, akin to a blockchain artifact. So I'm pretty interested in this story. They actually had a big a big party for the CryptoPunks community at Consensus. However, I'm still priced out. It's unfortunate stuff, but let's run into our next story. Now, this actually comes off of a headline that we shared with you a couple of weeks ago. It's Seth Green, um, who is a very famous actor and screenwriter, He had a bored ape that was stolen from him, and he is officially now reunited with his stolen ape at only a cost of 165 ETH. Now, that's a high price to pay um, at the very immediate moment. But as we look towards the future, I think that you're going to find that that ape purchase and that repurchase is going to be a very lucrative transaction for him because ultimately he had already built out an entire show that was pitched using that character. And now he can officially profit from it going forward. Um, so Richard, now that I can actually hear that you're back with us, do you have any take on the ape story with Seth Green? Let me go ahead and rephrase the question. This entire Seth Green thing comes off of a two week saga of him getting it stolen due to a phishing scam and now he's officially regained control of it for the TV show that he has planned upcoming for just 165 ETH. So I've already given my diatribe on the fact that I personally think it was a good reinvestment for Seth Green to go buy this. Um, but do you have any opinion on essentially paying the ransom? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you paid 165 at today's price of um, even close to 1200 ETH, then you basically bought it for $200,000. His show's worth way more than that in the deal he just got. Um, they could have extorted him for way more. Uh, I'd say he got a pretty good deal because then he probably got, got extorted for a lot more. So uh, sucks that it got you know stolen in the first place, but uh, good job getting it back. <laughs> that show's probably going to make a lot more money than 165 ETH. Look, you can only hope. Um, but again, it's really hard to say how these... Um, JPEG characters are going to play into um, the broader culture going forward. 
I think it's a bright future. I honestly think it's the strongest use case for a lot of these projects that we've got out there is brand new IP and a, basically a, a jumping off point for brand new concepts and shows as opposed to um, rebooting Reno 911 for the fifth time. So we have our final story in last week in the metaverse in this absolutely catastrophic episode of the Aftershock where we've lost audio and regained audio and all sorts of things. Um, Snoop Dogg. You may have heard of him as the dog father. Um, he's been in NFTs and the metaverse for quite a while now. He's an early investor in a lot of big projects and different art. Um, so he's officially announced that he's opening a Board Ape Yacht Club themed dessert restaurant based on his ape that he's calling Dr. Bombay's Sweet Exploration. Now, is this news or do I just want to make sure that people know about this? It's, it's definitely the latter. I mean, look, Uncle Snoop out here getting money any way possible. Like there was a video a while back that was going across social media on Twitter and Instagram of like a ton of different ads he was doing internationally from like India, like for like a Bollywood commercial, Germany, China, like you name it, he's out here hustling. So like, you know, him creating a restaurant (laughs) with a theme dessert, uh, (laughs) do what you do, Uncle Snoop. Get how you live. I mean, look, there's so many different like concepts that are out there. There's another board ape restaurant that just opened in LA. So like this isn't the first time it's been done. It's just a question of will it stick? So to me, I think that again, as board apes continue to either devalue or revalue themselves in the current market, we're going to see how it actually plays in the overall cultural zeitgeist. But I think that right now, this is a good move for Snoop. Whether it stays or it goes long-term, that'll be a bigger question. Um, personally, I think that since the other side land sale, and like I, I want to take this apart and get into the final question that I have for you on this week, um, is did the other side land sale actually become the thing that killed the NFT market? I don't know that I would say that it killed the NFT market. But I will say since that moment, which was after Moonbirds, we have seen a straight bearish sentiment in the market, especially because a lot of people left that experience not nearly as happy as the other experiences that they've had with um, the Board of Yacht Club and uh, Yuga Labs, etc. And I think that frustration mixed with a declining ETH price um, has made people unfortunately get a lot of uh, weak hands out here. The diamond hands are gone, especially as it relates to NFTs, because a lot of people that get into the space typically come in and flip. And it's hard to flip something right now. And so you're, you're seeing a lot of that, a lot of those players start to leave the market. But for those who have a long-term vision of NFTs, crypto, et cetera, you want to talk about fire sale buying opportunities, man, we're seeing them. And I think we're going to see them get even better because I don't think we've seen Max Payne yet, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be mad if I was wrong. But I do think we're probably going to see a little bit, quite a bit more pain before we start seeing this go another direction. But what's your take on it? So I've played this back a couple different times and I've listened to different pundits comment on whether or not other side is the thing that killed the last NFT bull. And I don't think that NFTs are actually tethered to the rest of the market anymore. I think that almost every player in NFTs at this stage of the game does what we call denominating in ETH, 
meaning that they are trading specifically on ETH value as opposed to valuing their NFTs against the US dollar. That gets into a trickier conversation here, but because I'm of the mind that more people are denominating ETH, I think that we're going to see more intermittent bull cycles for NFTs as we're still in a bearish market going forward. Because there's no way that you can claim at this stage of the game that we're not in a bear market, right? We're in a bear market. Bear sentiment is here. It's going to be here for a while. Get ready for the ride. That's what this is. But I think that we're finally going to see something completely decouple, and that's going to be NFTs going forward. Now, to answer the original question, I do think that other side was the thing that killed the last bull. Because we're talking about such a tremendous amount of liquidity just being absolutely extracted from the market. If you remember, all of these different other side land deeds generated hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for Yuga Labs straight to their pocket denominated in ApeCoin. Now, all of that money had to go into ApeCoin first. They bought it on the secondary market. And what did we see happen with ApeCoin's price following the sale? It went way down, right? It was trading up around $30 before the other side um, sale. And then after it bumped its way down to $10 or $12. And now I believe it's trading below five on the recent crash. So yeah. to me, I see that as there's a substantial amount of ApeCoin that's currently locked up out of regular circulation. And that is Yuga's way of extracting a ton of liquidity from the market. All for what? A picture of weird land that you can't really use yet? Like that, that to me is what other side did. Now, is that to say that NFTs are dead? No, I think every single influencer out there that is telling you that using these clickbaity titles and thumbnails saying that the metaverse is dead, they're dead wrong. All of them are doing that to get you to click on their videos. That's all that it is. Um, I think that board ape holders and board ape property holders have another thing coming though. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up at any point, but I've had to do my own research on it. And I've come to the conclusion that it's time to actually talk about it. There is a certain amount of research that's been done out in the market by um, a number of different players. Some have decided to stay anonymous. Others have you know, outed themselves and doxed themselves. But there is a author out there by the name of Ryder Rips who published a piece on some of the shady um, trolley links that the Board Ape Yacht Club has to 4chan and a lot of, frankly, um, racist and anti-Semitic um, stereotypes and things of that nature. This is going to be a story that ends up coming out throughout the next bear market. Eventually, CBS, NBC, CNN, Fox News, they're going to get a hold of it and I think it's going to actually be the ultimate end of what we saw in terms of the real bullish mania surrounding Board Ape Yacht Club. If you want to do more research on that of your own and come to your own conclusion, the website that I first came upon, which was shared by a dear friend of mine in the space whom I trust, was gordongoner.com. G-O-R-D-O-N-G-O-N-E-R.com. 
You can read it for yourself, come to your own conclusions, do separate research. But in my opinion, I think that that is what is ultimately going to be the downfall of Board API Club. Um, I'll be interested to see where it goes from here. So, as hey, the first I'm hearing of that, and that's, I mean, if if that's true, that's really unfortunate. And I know as people look into it, it's going to really rub them the wrong way. Um, but time will tell, and uh, information, more information will come out. And unfortunately, uh, when Things start going bearish and people start losing money and people start digging up dirt and they try to find try to find things on people and it looks like they found some stuff on people in that community, which is really unfortunate. Um, but you know, I'll have to look into that myself because it's news to me as well. So Steve dropping news on everybody. Do I think it's the end for NFTs though? I don't. Because I think the some of the richest IP that has been created across the last decade that's coming into play right now. So I would be looking at a lot more projects, again, where you have tremendous buying opportunities right now and be planning for the future because that's what the game plan is here. Ask yourself which of these projects can stay and really be a a major force in terms of intellectual property and community value across the next decade. If you find projects that speak that to you, those are the ones to target. Um, I have my own take on that, but we'll share that on an upcoming Twitter space which you can, of course, join us for every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern time on the Cryptocurrent Twitter. It's called Non-Fungible Thursdays. It's a happy hour that we host every week. Um, But besides that, we've also got some other great content up on Cryptocurrent's website by way of our different blog posts and editorial content. Those come out twice weekly. And we also have an awesome interview with the one and only Spotty Wi-Fi this past Monday. If you have not yet watched that video or played it back on your preferred podcast platform, I highly recommend that you do. It was an absolute banger of an episode. Richard, do you have any thoughts that you want to share with the audience on Spotty before we leave? Uh, The thought on that is to not give up on your dreams and you never know when timing will align and technology will advance for you to pursue it. Uh, You have an artist that was in the game for a long time until 2012, decided to go to the traditional job route. Later, 2020 gets uh, furloughed and immediately learns about NFTs and figures out how to be, get his art, aka music, into the form of NFTs. And was able to make six figures really quickly on his music. Uh, and it went straight to them. Didn't have to have ownership through a record label or anything like that. Create his own path. And there's so much just good information. And just Spotty was just a dope interview. So like... Yeah one of my favorites in a a while. So really good one to go check out. Awesome. Don't give up hope, folks. Just because we're in a bearish sentiment doesn't mean that you can't be learning, doesn't mean you can't be building. And it certainly doesn't mean that you should stop watching this content and staying educated and connected to Web3 and the thought leaders who are shaping it. I've been Stephen Miller. He's been Richard Carthon. We will see you next week for another edition of The Aftershock. But until then, stay cryptocurrent. Catch you next time.